0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins by asking, what is the chief end of man? Why was man created, and what is his purpose, his reason for being? The Shorter Catechism responds with a beautiful answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God created man as the crown of his creation. He made man to praise and glorify him, to live in fellowship with him. And yet, the sad reality is that many today do not live their lives for God. Many do not know God or want to know him. Many live in active rebellion against the Lord. Many do not live in close fellowship with God. You know why not? Why people are alienated from God? Or why we so often struggle to live in close communion with Him? The problem is sin. With the fall into sin, our hearts were corrupted, our minds darkened, our wills inclined to seek after our own sinful desires. God is holy, and he dwells in unapproachable light. By nature, we are sinful, and we love the darkness rather than the light. Even if we wanted to, we could not in and of ourselves come to God. For sin has put a chasm between God and us. Sin needs to be paid for before we can come to God. In the Old Covenant, God gave his people regulations about how it was possible for them to be restored to communion with him. In the book of Leviticus, the Lord prescribed a sacrificial system for how people could attain ritual holiness so that they could approach God, so that he could live among them. By means of the laws about sacrifices and offerings, God taught his people that sin is costly, that it requires payment. Yet the laws of the Old Covenant were but shadows of a greater reality that was yet to come. They pointed forward to the true mediator and deliverer, who alone could make payment for our sins. This afternoon we'll consider the need for payment to be made for us, to be restored to God's favor. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God requires payment for sin for us to be restored to his favor. We'll consider the inadequacy of animal sacrifices, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, and the need to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Many Christians struggle with the book of Leviticus. It details many laws about animal sacrifices, ritual cleanness, And the service of the priests these things seem so distant from our lives as 21st century Christians they relate to a different age to a culture vastly different from ours and so we wonder if this book has any relevance to our lives today yet when we dig into the book of Leviticus it reveals the background for why Christ's atoning work was necessary It gives us a more detailed understanding of the glorious work of our Savior. The book of Leviticus has something important to say about our service of God. The theme of this book is summarized in Leviticus 20, verse 26, where the Lord says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. In the Old Covenant, the Lord gave detailed regulations for how His people were to attain and maintain holiness so they could live with God. Many of the principles put forward in this book have application to our lives. For if we want to enjoy fellowship with God, it also requires us to live in holiness before Him. The problem that we face is that by nature, we are not holy In the last three Lord's Days, we've learned to know our sins and misery from the law of God. When we compare what God requires in His law with how we actually live, we see that we sin against God again and again. Uh, By nature, we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor. We are so corrupt that without the regenerating work of the Spirit, we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. The result is that if God were to enter into judgment with us, no one could stand before him. God is a holy His justice requires that sin committed against him be punished with everlasting punishment of body and soul. The point, beloved, is that as unholy people, we cannot appear before God. Sin has created this big chasm between God and us. We're at one side of the cliff and God is on the other. And the cliff walls are too steep for us to climb. And there's a crocodile infested river running between them. And there's no bridge to get across. How can we be reconciled with God? How can we be restored to His favor? Is there any way for us to live in close fellowship with God again? Lord's Day 5 asks the question this way Since, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be restored to God's favor? Leviticus deals with this basic question. You need to understand that after God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, they rebelled against him. God had displayed his power and might by sending ten plagues against the Egyptian gods, and by delivering his people through the waters of the Red Sea. But Israel forgot about the Lord and worshipped the golden calf instead. God was supremely angry with them. He was ready to destroy them. It was only through the mediation of Moses that God's anger was turned away. His people needed instruction about how their sins could be paid for, how they could be restored to God's favor. Leviticus 1 begins by giving instructions about the burnt offering. For many of us, the most we know about burnt offerings is from when mom overcooks dinner in the oven, or when dad burns meat on the barbecue will joke about how these juicy hamburgers got turned into some burnt offering. Yeah, this example does teach us something about these sacrifices that the people offered to God. When you offered a burnt offering, the whole bull or sheep or goat or bird was sacrificed to the Lord. The whole animal was literally burnt on earth the altar the result was that smoke went up to heaven it went up as a pleasing aroma to the Lord and the result was that the Lord would look with favor on the people bringing him this sacrifice it's important to note that the offerings regulated in Leviticus 1 refer primarily to personal sacrifices offered voluntarily by the individual Israelite Regulations about the burnt offering stress the involvement of the person who was bringing the sacrifice. That person had to present and prepare the sacrifice. While other parts of Scripture regulate that burnt offerings were to be presented to the Lord at set times and for specific occasions, the focus in Leviticus 1 is on the private sacrifice of an individual Israelite. People were free to go to their tabernacle and bring a sacrifice to God. The Hebrew word used for offering in our text indicates that it is a gift. People might offer such a gift to God out of thankfulness for His mercies or for the paying of vows. Think about what's written in Psalm 66. It says, I will come to your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. So every Israelite had the opportunity to appear before God, to thank and praise Him, to pray for the things on His heart. The people of Israel had some understanding of why and when and how burnt offerings were to be sacrificed to God. For burnt offerings were offered up to the Lord already from the earliest times in history. After the flood, Noah offered some of the clean animals and birds to God as a burnt offering. Genesis 8 tells us that when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And so the Israelites learned that the burnt offering was a way of satisfying God's wrath and of obtaining his favor. The second event in Israel's history where burnt offering was offer, offered to the Lord. In Genesis 22, we read of how the Lord required Abraham to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Because of his faith in God, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son. In God's grace, he stopped Abraham from offering his son and provided a ram in its place. From this, the Israelites would have learned that in the burnt offering, the sacrificial animal died in the place of man. Isaac didn't die because God provided an animal in his place. Thus burnt offerings could serve as a substitute to make atonement for man's sins. The location of the altar gives a further hint about why sacrifices like burnt offerings were required. The altar was the first thing an Israelite encountered when he entered through the gateway into the courtyard of the tabernacle. It stood between the gateway and the door of the tabernacle itself. It stood between the Israelite and God. The point is that the sacrifices offered on the altar enabled the worshiper to draw near to God. Without the altar and the sacrificial system, the Israelites could not have dwelt in communion with the Lord. Here the need for sacrifices comes into focus. It's our sins that separate us from God. Before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve lived with God in paradise. You never read about them offering sacrifices to God there. At that point in time, there was no need for blood to be shed. But with the fall into sin and the corruption of man, the perfect communion between God and man broke down. And so God in His grace provided a way for man to approach Him. He allowed His people to present sacrifices and so to be restored to a living relationship with Him. Leviticus 1 details the active participation of the worshiper in presenting the sacrifice. Verse 4 says, He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Just as a ram served as a substitute for Isaac, so the bull, sheep, goats, and birds served as substitutes for God's covenant people. They laid their hands on the head of these animals, symbolizing the transfer of sins from themselves to the animal. While the people deserved to suffer death when they came before the Lord because of their sins, he accepted the blood of animals in their place. It was sprinkled around the altar. And so it made atonement. It made payment for the worshiper. So why don't we offer burnt offerings as sacrifices to God anymore? Well, the basic reason is that these sacrifices only served as shadows of what was to come. Hebrews 10 verse 1 makes this clear points out that the same sacrifices that were continually offered year after year could never make perfect those who drew near to God. The sacrifices served as a reminder of sins and of God's just requirement that our sins need to be paid for. But the sacrifices themselves did not atone for sin. For, says the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Our catechism explains why animal sacrifices are inadequate as a payment for our sins. It gives two reasons. The first is that God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. God is a fair God. Man sinned, and so man needs to pay for sin. Animals were valuable. The fact that they could be offered as sacrifices indicated the need for the shedding of blood to pay for our sins. But the point is that God would never accept an animal sacrifice as payment for human sin. There's also a second reason why animal sacrifices could not atone for human sin. Our catechism says that no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's wrath against sin and deliver others from it. See, beloved, God is terribly angry with our sins. Our sins require adequate payment. We deserve to come under everlasting punishment of body and soul. By rights, we deserve to be the burnt offering to be burned up for the terrible ways in which we have offended God with our sins. God's justice requires payment in kind. His justice requires that sins committed against him be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. And so we see the inadequacy of animal sacrifices. It brings us to our second point, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. One of the noteworthy things about sacrifices offered up as burnt offerings is that they had to be perfect. Second best was not good enough for the Lord. Our text indicates that the bull, sheep, or goats had to be male, and they had to be without defect. This symbolized the perfect sacrifice that the Lord Jesus would make. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 19, That we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. The prophet Isaiah speaks in chapter 53 about the coming of the Messiah as a suffering servant. Isaiah speaks about how he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He points out that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. Although we all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Already the Old Covenant is made clear that Christ would come to make atonement for us, that He would suffer in our place. This is confirmed for us in the New Testament In John 1, verse 29, we see how John the Baptist saw Christ and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Our Lord has given the name Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins. The scriptures make a direct link between the burnt offerings and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, Paul speaks about how Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. One Bible translation translates the fragrant offering as a sweet-smelling aroma, reminding us of how God was pleased when his people brought him burnt offerings in the Old Covenant. Our reading from Hebrews 10 shows how Christ came to offer himself as a burnt offering for his people. The writer quotes from Psalm 40 to show how Jesus came to do the will of his Father in heaven. He gave himself, all of himself, as a sacrifice for our sins. During his life, Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of God. He kept all God's commandments. He lived a perfect life though often tempted to sin and do his own will. Submission to his Father in heaven was necessary for him to present himself as an offering without blemish or spot. Jesus gave his whole life for us. His sacrificial service was motivated by love for his Father. In John 14, verse 31, Jesus says, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus' service was voluntary. In John 10, 15, Jesus expressed his willingness to give up his life for us. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. It was Christ's choice to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ offered up his body and soul, his body and blood on the cross to pay for our sins, to restore us to communion with God. The author of Hebrews says that we have been sanctified, that means set apart or made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That, beloved, is the glorious news of the gospel. That Jesus made the sacrifice that we could not make. That he paid the price we could not pay. That thereby he has bridged the chasm that existed between God and us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Please, please note that Jesus' sacrifice is a once-for-all sacrifice. The shedding of Jesus' blood has put an end to the need for our animal burnt offerings and sacrifices. Atonement has been made. The death of the Lord Jesus is, is sufficient to pay for the sins of this whole world. God will receive in grace all who come to him in repentance and faith. He calls on us to believe that Jesus is the mediator and deliverer who has reconciled us to God. Through Christ's great sacrifice, it's now possible for us to live in covenant fellowship with God. This brings us to our final point, the need to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Christ has made full payment for our sins And there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. We are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. With Christ's fulfillment of the Old Covenant sacrificial system, we could conclude that we don't need to present any sacrifices to God anymore. But that's incorrect. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, we're called to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Out of thankfulness to God for the wondrous deliverance he has worked for us in Christ, we're now called to offer up our lives to God as a sacrifice of praise to him. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, through Jesus let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God wants us to praise him with our lips. By calling on him in prayer, thanking him for the wondrous works he has done, and by singing glory to his name. But that's not all. God also wants us to show our thankfulness in how we live. By doing good to those around us, by sharing with those in need. Let it be clear that in the Old Covenant, it was not the sacrifices themselves that interested God. God wanted the hearts of his people. He wanted his people to love him with all their heart and soul and mind. At different times in Israel's history, the people's worship became ritualized. They thought they could keep God happy by offering the prescribed sacrifices. But God was not happy with that kind of service. In Psalm 50, he told his people that every beast of the forest is is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Instead, God told his people, offer God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Similarly, in Micah 6, the Lord showed His people He was not interested in ritual sacrifices, but rather that they do justice, and love kindness, and walk humbly with their God. Earlier, we read together a small part from Mark 12, where Jesus answered the scribes' question, "But which commandment is the most important of all?" This scribe agreed with Jesus' answer, saying that to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The point should be clear, beloved. God wants us to offer up our whole life to him. Our entire life is to be a whole burnt offering to God. We are to devote ourselves completely to doing His will. We began this sermon by asking, what is the chief end of man? Why were we created and what's our reason for being? The Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes Christ's teaching by answering to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Beloved, it's only in Christ that we can do that. He gave His life as a sacrifice for our sins to restore us to God's favor. Let us show forth our thankfulness by devoting ourselves and all we have to God's service. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from hymn 25, stanzas 1, 3, and 4.